one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. It sends me into a rage. I go out of the room. He said, "I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'm looking for something." And he said, "I pick up what I think is a piece of rebar and I go back in the room and I hit him." I'm Yardley. This is Detective Dan. Hey there. And his identical twin brother, Detective Dave. Hello. And this is Small Town Dicks. You'll hear detectives from small towns around the world discuss their most memorable cases. We cover the intimate details of what went wrong and what went right. As these dedicated men and women search for justice and crack the case. Names and certain details have been changed to protect the privacy of the victims and their families. So please join us in maintaining their anonymity out of respect for what they've been through. Thank Thank you. you. Today on Small Town Dicks, we have the usual suspects. We have Detective Dan. Good day. Good day, sir. And we have Detective Dave. Hello, team. Hello, you. So good to see you both. Ditto. (laughs) Dan stunned into silence. And um, (laughs) we are thrilled to welcome one of our new favorite guests back to the podcast, Ladies and gentlemen, we have Detective BK. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for giving up another day off. We can't say enough about how generous that is. So, BK, you have a really interesting case for us today. Tell us how this case came to you. So I was sitting at my desk. I'm a new detective. I've been a detective for a whole month when this call came in. I had a partner. I was assigned a senior detective as a partner. And on October 29th, I'm sitting at my desk. It's a little after 11 in the morning. And my partner comes and says, hey, we got to go. We have a suspicious death call. We hadn't had a murder in our town in seven years. Oh, my. Yeah, it was unusual. Like, they actually needed a detective to come out and check this out. So we hop in the car and we're driving over to this cheap motel. It's the cheapest motel in our town. It consists of about 15 rooms right off the freeway. And I said, what's suspicious about this call? And he said, all it is is a 911 call. The hotel manager said there's a man bleeding from his face. So we get there, there's paramedics there, and there's two pretty new officers there, less than three years on. And I don't think they had ever seen anything like this. But when we get there, the First officer starts to brief us and says, yeah, when we showed up, the paramedics are coming out of the room and they tell us that this guy's dead. And one of the officers says, are you sure? And they're like, we're pretty sure. Do you think we should have taken a pulse? And they're like, yeah, you should have taken a pulse. This is one of the patrol officers. Patrol officer telling the paramedic how to do their job. These two paramedics turn around and walk back into the room to take the pulse of this guy. And then the officers are right behind them and they're like, oh my God, get out of there. The room is covered in blood and the guy is laying in most of his blood. And so they're describing this to me. And so I go to the room and this is like a motel style. So they all open to the outside. All the rooms open to the outside, not into a hallway. And they're really tiny rooms. They're like 10 by 16 or 12 by 16. They're small rooms. The TV is attached to the wall on a mount up in the corner of the room. And then there's a small bathroom off the room. 
There's a table and a chair in there and a nightstand. And that pretty much fills the room except for the queen bed in there. And I walk in and there is blood spatter on every surface in this room. It's all over the ceiling. It's all over the walls. Every wall is covered in blood spatter. I'm standing as a dark rug. So I'm assuming I'm standing in blood spatter. And I look in the bathroom and there's blood spatter on the walls and on the floor. And then there's our victim. Our victim's name is Daryl. He's a 68-year-old homeless man. He's a registered sex offender. Um, And that does come into play. That's why I mention it. And it's October 29th, like I said. So the TV is on, but it's muted and it's playing Halloween-themed show, whatever it was. Once I'm in the room, I retch a little bit because of the iron smell. When you have that much blood, there's a distinct iron smell. So my partner and I do a quick inventory of the room, like what's here, what shouldn't be here, and what's missing. And one of the things we noticed was there's no key card in the room, unless it's in Daryl's pants. We didn't check Daryl's pants, but we looked through everywhere. And then later the crime scene forensic people would show up and they would go through his pants and they would find his wallet, but the key card was missing from the room. The door was locked. We know the door was locked. And the window's open, but the screen is intact. So we figure whoever did this to Daryl probably knew Daryl or was at least in the room with Daryl's consent. I walked over and talked to the manager. His name is Patel. Uh, is it from India? Is he one of the witnesses? Only in that he calls 911. Okay. So we talked to Patel. And Patel says on October 27th, Daryl checks in at the hotel. He gives an ID. They take a photocopy of his ID, which is common. And he looks like the dead guy in the room. How does Daryl have money to get a room for two nights if he's a transient? Another transient gives him the money, which we learn later. So Daryl rented the room on the 27th for two nights. It's unseasonably cold in our town. And Daryl tells Patel that he just wants to get out of the cold. He's got enough money for two days and he's going to stay for two days. And then he was dead on the 29th. That's all we know at that point. So the 29th would be his expected departure date. And so I'm guessing he missed the checkout time. And so an employee goes to clean the room and encounters this scene. Right. So this is a common hotel for homeless people. So they're not unused to it. So yes, he misses his checkout time, which is 11 o'clock. Patel goes to the room, opens the door, sees Daryl covered in blood, and he calls 911 and says, a man bleeding from the face. Maybe that's a translation from, because English is Patel's second language, but it's downplayed. But it's crazy to me how often, like when you have such a serious thing as this guy is literally missing part of his head, he is laying in a puddle of blood. Blood is everywhere. And we get a report of a man bleeding from the face where you have, you know, two people arguing or speaking loudly and it gets blown out of proportion and you go lights and sirens to that. The serious stuff seems to get downplayed on 911 and the simple stuff seems to be upplayed on 911. So anyway, so there's a pizza box in the room. So immediately we send a detective over to the pizza restaurant where the pizza was from, we find out that a man with a raspy voice ordered the pizza. So the pizza was ordered over the phone? Correct. And that a young man answered the door at the hotel when the pizza was delivered. He was larger, billed with uh, long, brown, curly hair. So definitely not Daryl. Not Daryl. So in our town, we have a homeless resource center that all the homeless and transient people can go to and it allows them to take a shower. They can use that as their mailing address. They can use a computer there. They can apply for jobs. Anything that they would have if they had a home, they can get there. And it's just a daytime drop-in place. You can hang out there only to use the computer and you get a time allotted to you. You can take a shower. But once you've done all that, you have to leave and you have to check in there. So we send a detective over there and that detective finds that Daryl goes there almost every day. And the person that works there is his love interest. And her name is Suzanne. So this detective starts talking to Suzanne about Daryl's dead. 
not knowing that they are in a relationship. And obviously she's very upset. We find out that she spoke to Daryl the night before on the 28th. She spoke to him on the phone. She called him at the hotel because she knew he was staying at the hotel. And they talked until about 9.30 at night. And they had plans to meet up the next day. So we also find out that Daryl hangs out with a guy named Rich. Rich is a person that Daryl doesn't always hang out with, but it's not unusual to see them together. And the last time that they had stopped by the resource center, they were together. Is Rich homeless also? Rich is a 24-year-old homeless person. He has a drinking problem. And that leads to him being unemployed. He has a very supportive family living in another state, which he talks to frequently. Neither one of these people have a cell phone either. Otherwise, we would be able to track the movement of their cell phones, but we don't have that. So now we have the name Rich, and we know that they've hung out together and that they were seen together. They were seen by Suzanne together on the 27th when Daryl rented the room. And she tells us that they rented the room together. Daryl had the ID and Rich had the money, but Rich couldn't get the room because he didn't have an ID. So he asked Daryl to rent the room for him. And he allowed Daryl to stay there the second night. Rich stayed there by himself the first night, but he allowed Daryl to stay there with him the second night. And Suzanne tells us that. So we're still at the scene processing the scene. We were at that scene We got there a little after 11 in the morning and we didn't leave there until about three in the morning. The crime scene people told us that the blood spatter in that room, there's so much of it. They could teach a class on the different types of blood spatter that are in that room. There's cast off, which is where somebody's striking a person with a blunt instrument. And this death was a blunt force trauma. Daryl was hit in the head with what the crime scene people think is something like a crowbar. They think it's a crowbar or something similar. They think it has a hook on the end of it. And Daryl's laying on his side. He's got the blankets pulled up to his armpit. One arm is over the blankets and folded up by his face. His other hand is underneath his head. It looks like he's sleeping, except for he's missing a large portion of the side of his head. And he's laying in a puddle of blood. We pull back the blankets and he's naked underneath the blankets. His clothes are put on the chair. So it looks like he was maybe attacked while he was asleep. There's portions of his skull and brain on the wall. Cast off is where you're swinging the weapon and blood's on it and it's being thrown back. There's blood dripping where it's dripping from the thing that's being used to hit with. And they end up luminoing the room and there's actually a blood shadow where this guy was standing as he attacked Daryl. So we call it a blood shadow because there's blood spatter everywhere and it's pretty consistent as it goes through the room. And the blood shadow is where the person was standing. So the blood that would be traveling through the air in that direction is actually landing on the person who's attacking Daryl. There's no blood behind that person. So it's a blood shadow. It's a negative space of where there's no blood. So we know where the suspect was standing while he was attacking Daryl, but we don't know what he was attacking him with. We do a grid search of that entire area. And this is a interstate interchange area. So there is three gas stations. There are two nice hotels near this cheap hotel. And one of the gas stations has like a minute market store in it. So there's a receipt from that convenience store as well in the room. So we go over and we talk to the clerk and say, hey, this guy has a receipt in his room. Do you remember him coming in? And the clerk remembered Daryl and Rich coming in. And she knew them because they frequent the store. She didn't know them by name, but she knew who they were. And she said they actually talked about how they had a room at the hotel and that they were going back to the hotel. And she said that Daryl left first and she saw him walking towards the hotel and then Rich left and saw him walking towards the hotel. And this was the night before. They have video? They have cameras, but guess what? They don't record. They weren't even working at the time. A convenience store off a major freeway. No working video. That's a bad move. Right, sitting ducks for armed robberies and 
all kinds of stuff. I had a question about the pizza. Was a pizza paid for with cash or credit card? Cash. That's not helpful either. No, and so we do a photo lineup. And a photo lineup is we get uh, six pictures of people that look similar to each other, but not too similar so that you can tell them apart. And we show them to witnesses and victims to potentially identify suspects. And so we show a photo lineup to the pizza delivery guy. He picks out Rich, 100% positive. That's Rich, who bought the pizza. We show a photo lineup to the clerk at the convenience store. And she picks out Rich as the person that's with Daryl. Have you encountered Rich before as police officers? Is that why you have a photo of him that you could put in a lineup? Yes, he's been arrested many times, but for small stuff. The biggest thing he ever did, he stole a car. And that was a crime of convenience more than anything. It's all small stuff, nothing violent. It's like property crimes, like theft and shoplifting. And sometimes you get in little arguments with people when he was intoxicated, which would cause the police to be called. And Daryl was also known to the police. And my partner actually knew him well because my partner is the sex crimes detective for our department. Daryl being a registered sex offender, my partner knew Daryl and had talked to him in the past. So we also show a photo lineup to Suzanne, even though she knows these people personally, we still show a photo lineup and she picks out Rich as well. Says that's the person I was with Daryl. So we have a pretty good idea that Rich was in the hotel room with Daryl. Does anybody like the clerk, I guess it would just be the clerk at the convenience store who saw Rich and Daryl together, does she sort of think, oh, they seemed like a couple or they just seem like pals? Is there any indication of that? Yeah, they just seem like buddies. Okay. And so while we're at the crime scene, the news has shown up and they are broadcasting live that we're out there. We have this homicide. They're all Twitter-pated and excited that we have this homicide because we haven't had one in so long. They actually have news to report. And so we have a man show up saying he's friends with Rich. His name is William. So William tells us that he was drinking and partying with Rich the night before the 28th. And they hooked up around one o'clock in the afternoon at the liquor store. They just happened upon each other at the liquor store and started chatting. And William's like, hey, I'm just going to hang out in my trailer. He lives in a trailer behind one of these dilapidated gas stations that we have at that end of town. Do you want to come over and hang out? Rich says, sure. Rich goes over and hangs out with William. And they end up going to one of our local dive bars. And the bartender actually remembers Rich because he was bumming money to try and buy a pitcher of beer. Of course, we show her a photo lineup. The bartender picks out Rich as the person hanging out with William. So William is concerned that the person that's dead in the room, because the only thing being reported is a homeless person. He's concerned that Rich is the dead person. He doesn't know that Daryl's the dead person. He knows Daryl, but not as well as Rich. William has a fifth wheel. He has a broken down fifth wheel out in the middle of a field that he lets Rich stay in. Rich can stay in there anytime he wants. William doesn't know when Rich comes and goes. He just allows him to stay there. So William shows us where this fifth wheel is. So we go out there and we search for Rich and Rich is nowhere to be found. So we assign somebody to start looking into who does Rich know in the area? Where is he from? And where are we going to find Rich? I should also mention that the bedspread from the bed is also missing from the motel room. When we do our grid search, we're looking for a murder weapon, basically a piece of metal that has blood on it. And we're looking for this bedspread and we're looking for bloody clothes. We do a grid search. We search every dumpster on that end of town. We do a grid search all the way to the fifth wheel from the murder scene to the fifth wheel, looking for that stuff. We don't find anything. So now it's, where's Rich? And we get a temporary felony warrant for his arrest, charging murder. How and why is it a temporary arrest warrant? Why isn't it just an arrest warrant? So a judge can order that temporary arrest warrant, but a grand jury has to indict for the permanent one. It's for emergency things like this. Like it was issued on a Sunday. 
so they don't get away. So they don't get away. Yeah. So you have something to grab a hold of them. So you can say to anybody in the United States, if you see this guy, grab him. You can't just go on our probable cause. Got it. Got it. So we find out that Rich's mother used to live in a town about an hour and 15 minutes from our town. So we send detectives to that address and find out she no longer lives there and she lives in another state. And his father lives in another state as well. They're divorced. Father's remarried. So we talk to dad. We talk to his dad and dad says, yeah, I talked to Rich on the 29th. The morning of the 29th, he called me from a payphone asking me to wire him some money because he had hurt a guy. He got in a fight and he hurt a guy and he doesn't know how bad he hurt him, but he thinks he hurt him pretty bad. And so dad says, yeah, I'll wire you some money. So dad tells us that he wired Rich $180 and he does not know where Rich is. I said, okay. So will you call us if he contacts you and tell him to be in contact with our police department? Dad says, yeah, I will do that. Does he ask, why are you looking for my son? We don't tell him that Daryl's dead, but we tell him, yeah, it's over this fight. Where did dad wire this money? Was it your town or some other town? He wired it to the town next to ours. That was about 15 miles away. Okay. And this is the morning of Daryl being discovered is this phone call to dad. Yes. It's around 1030 in the morning. So it's before we even know Daryl's dead. What was Rich's uh, demeanor on the phone with his father? I think he shook up. Dad did say he was scared because he thinks he hurt the guy pretty bad. He didn't think he killed him, though. He didn't say that. It's curious to me that Dad doesn't go, son, you need to call the police. I'm not wiring you any money. Where are you? I will come get you or stay put or something. Not, sure, here's some money to get away. You would think, but it continues. The wiring of money continues. And no call to the police. No call to the police. So dad wires him money. So now it's November 1st, dad wires him money again. And now he's in the same state as dad, but not near dad. He's probably still another six hours from where dad lives, but he's in the same state as dad now. And mom lives in that state as well. Mom says, I haven't talked to him. I don't know where he's at. Why are you looking for him? We say, hey, he hurt this guy. He assaulted someone and we need to talk to him. Mom doesn't cooperate at all. Mom lies to us the entire time. She wants to protect her boy. But because we know that this is how they get money to him, we contact Western Union. We talk to their security people. We need to know if any of these three people wire money or receive money. And we give them mom's name and dad's name and Rich's name. So the next day I get a call from Western Union and they say, the mom has just wired money and it's to be picked up in yet another state by Rich. So one of the things that's happening is Rich doesn't have ID and Western Union requires ID to pick money up unless you use a code word. You can ask a code question and it has to be answered correctly and that bypasses the need for an ID. So that's what they're doing. So mom wires this money. Western Union calls me and my partner contacts the police department in the jurisdiction where this money is being wired and says, we have a murder suspect that is going to pick up money, Western Union, in your city and we need your help in locating him. Same day, murder arrest warrant comes out. No longer a temporary warrant. Rich gets indicted through grand jury and we get our warrant. So that's like a rush subpoena for the grand jury indictment. Yeah, it happens right away. I don't know how this PD does it. It's a big city and hundreds of thousands of people there, I believe. And the other thing you're dealing with here is there's not just one branch of Western Union in this city. There's tons of them. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. You can go to like Walmart has Western Union terminals where you can get money. Most grocery stores have them. Yeah. It's a needle and a stack of needles. So you can go to any Western Union in that city, give the code word and get your money. They don't say, oh, you have to go to store number 582 to get your dough. So what we learn is that they can pick it up anywhere in the state in which you send it to. So Rich didn't even have to pick it up in that city, but that's where mom designated it. She designated it to a specific city. So I don't know how this 
police department functions and how they did it. I don't know how many Western Union terminals they surveilled, but about 40 minutes later, this police department arrests Rich after he picks up the money at a grocery store. And I'm assuming that it was probably something that was near a bus station or something like that. We later learned that Rich does take the bus. He takes the city bus from our town to the town 15 miles away and gets on a Greyhound bus in that town, goes to the other town where he spent two or three days, and then he goes to yet another state and town where he's arrested. And he's arrested four days after the murder. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey folks, Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Simply Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360 degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Simply Safe Home Security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break-in. In addition, Simply Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. With Simply Safe Home Security, I have the flexibility to use keypads at multiple entries at my house. This option is especially important to me and my family. I can provide access to people I trust and limit having multiple keys outside of my control, all at the push of a button via the Simply Safe app. It comes with a variety of cameras for indoors and outdoors. And best of all, Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. It gives me peace of mind knowing I can leave the house, I can leave town, I can even leave the country, and I know my home is Simply Safe. The mobile app integration makes it so easy to make sure everything's in place in real time. I check it every day when I'm away from home. Simply Safe is the best. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Home Security Systems 2024. And Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/smalltown. That's simplysafe.com/smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Okay, so Rich has used money that his parents wired to him to take a bus from your state to this other state that's quite far away. And it's there that the police pick Rich up while he's collecting more money that his parents just wired to him. Yes. So they take him into custody. They notify us he's in custody. Rich no longer has curly brown hair. He has shaved his head. And he's taken to the police department there and he's put in holding. 
we send two experienced veteran detectives to interview Rich. Did they drive or fly? They flew. And they go down to interview him. After the interview, they call us and they're very excited because Rich has confessed to the murder. So we're like, all right, that's awesome. Rich waves extradition and they drive him back. And now he's in our jail. Then we meet with the DA and we haven't seen the interview yet. We meet with the DA to watch the interview. My partner and I, the two detectives that did the interview and the DA and the deputy DA who's going to uh, prosecute the case. You're all in the same room watching this interview together? Yes. It's in an interrogation room at that large police department. And it's a standard interview room, nothing on the walls, one table, three chairs. It's what you would expect. And it's recorded by the room's recording system. They start out and they do the let's get acquainted introduction. I'd say they spend about 10 minutes just talking to Rich, rapport building. They haven't Mirandized him yet. Once they've established, um, they all like each other. And I'll tell you, Rich is very casual. He doesn't seem nervous at all. He seems very comfortable with these two detectives. And he, he says he's willing to talk about whatever they want to talk about. So they read him Miranda and they start talking to him about Daryl. How do you know Daryl? He's somebody I met in lockup. Do you hang out with Daryl? Not really. He's distancing himself from Daryl and all his acquaintance with Daryl. When's the last time you saw Daryl? I'm not sure. Rich talks about how he hadn't seen Daryl for about a week prior to leaving, and he left about a week ago. All provable lies. Yes. So Rich is doing a really good job of making it very confusing dates and times. And so they start talking about Halloween. Where were you on Halloween? He says, I was in this other state on Halloween and I was there for two days. Does Rich confirm that it's the other state where this money was wired to? Yes. And he confirms that he received $180 from his father. Good corroboration. Yeah. Rich says that he took the Greyhound bus to another state. Rich is really fuzzy on the day of when he left. He ended up leaving the day the murder was discovered. Rich says, I got up in the morning and I went to the bus station. My dad wired me the money. And then I went to the bus station and I left and went to this other state. And that's the morning of the murder. That's the morning of the murder. They ask him where he slept. He said, I slept in the city park. Do you ever stay in a hotel? He's like, I never stay in a hotel. I like sleeping outside. I always sleep in the city park. Rich said, a lot of people do. And there's other people that were there who will tell you I was there. And they ask him about Williams Fifth Will. You ever stay in Williams Fifth Will? He says, sometimes I do stay in Williams Fifth Will. Did you stay in Williams Fifth Will that night before you left? He said, no, I stayed in the city park. I slept in the city park. I did not go to that Fifth Will. What were you doing the day before you left? He said, actually, I was drinking with William. We were out partying and drinking. We were drinking pretty hard. And that's what I did the day before. Were you hanging out with Daryl? No, I was not hanging out with Daryl. And they go back to, when's the last time you saw Daryl? I'm not sure, probably about a week before I left. And they say, well, Daryl rented this hotel room. Were you ever in the hotel room with Daryl? He's like, no, I didn't know he had a hotel room. I'm never in that room. So a crucial piece of evidence, which was part of getting the warrant for the rich, is the rest was the crime scene team recovered a fingerprint that was in blood on the inside handle of the hotel room. Quick analysis of that fingerprint, it ended up being Rich's right pinky finger. That puts him in the room. That's the holy grail of evidence. Yes, you can't argue it. Right, it's not under the blood, it's in the blood. Yes, so we have that. So when Rich says, I was never at the hotel, I was never in that room, we know that's a lie. And the guys we have interviewing him know that's a lie. So they eventually get to, hey, we have your fingerprint inside the room. He does the involuntary affirmative nodding of the head. Like he's agreeing with them. When I interview people, I watch for that. When I'm saying things to someone, you know, sometimes you want to present the facts to the people that you're interrogating. And when I say interrogation, interrogation is not um, yelling at somebody and dark room with one light in the middle. No, interrogation is an interview where you're trying to 
gain their trust so they will trust you to tell you something that they don't want to tell you. It can be confrontational, but it's usually not. So they present Rich with the fact that his fingerprint is inside the room where Daryl is found dead. And he's doing the involuntary affirmative nodding of the head. And then they tell Rich that his fingerprint is in Daryl's blood. And they said, so we need you to tell us the truth. You've been lying to us. You need to tell us the truth. We know you were with Daryl. We know that you received a pizza. We have the pizza guy who's already identified you as being in the room. And the whole time the detectives are saying this, Rich is nodding his head, agreeing with them. And his response is, are you trying to pin this on me? We know that you were in the room. We just want you to tell us the truth. feels like you're trying to pin this on me. I feel like I need an attorney now. And the detectives immediately changed gears. They're like, we're going to stop the interview and we're not going to ask you any more questions. But we want to confirm you're asking for an attorney. You no longer want to talk to us. That's correct. I want an attorney. The one detective reaches back for the doorknob and the door's locked. Now they're waiting for somebody from that police department to come unlock the door to let them out. In the meantime, they continue to talk to Rich after a clear invocation. They're not asking any more questions, but it is still a violation of his right. He's invoked his right to an attorney and they're continuing to talk to him. So even if they're just talking about the weather, that's a violation of his invocation? Yes. Anything you say to that person that could invoke incriminating statements is a violation of his rights. So we're sitting in this conference room watching this video of this happening. I look over at the DA and the DA is like, this is going to be a problem. And they said, well, we tried to get out of the room. You see, we wanted to leave the room, but the door was locked. So we're waiting for somebody to come let us out. And it's like 10 long minutes where they continue to talk to him. And then finally, Rich says, you know what? I'll talk to you guys. I know you know what's up. And they said, okay, but since you asked for an attorney, now we have to go over your rights again. They do all the clarifying questions again. They read each of his rights under Miranda. He says he understands each of them. And then he tells them what happened. And he tells them that he asked Daryl to rent the room for him. He said, I had the money, but I didn't have any idea to rent the room. Rich says, Daryl asked me if he could stay in the room one night. And I told him he could. Rich says, I was out drinking. I was super drunk when I got back to the room that night. I come in, Daryl's in the bed. So I just pull the bedspread off the bed and I lay on the floor. He said, I'm laying on the floor, I'm drunk. And Daryl lifts up the blanket and shows me his penis and says, why don't you come lay with me? And he's laughing about it. Rich says, it sends me into a rage. Rich says, I go out of the room. He said, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'm looking for something. And he said, I pick up what I think is a piece of rebar and I go back in the room and I hit him. They asked Rich how many times he hit Daryl. He said, I don't know how many times I hit him a couple of times. The ME says Daryl was hit somewhere between six and eight times. And Daryl's missing a large part of his skull. And again, you've got Daryl in this pose that makes you believe that he was asleep when he gets hit. He's rendered unconscious, so he doesn't move from that position. There's no indication he ever moved. He was probably dead on the first strike. That would be my guess, because he never moves. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you suspect then that Rich is not telling the truth about Daryl showed me his penis and invited me to lay with him? No, we believe that. We believe that that happened. We don't know how long between that happening and Rich going and getting the piece of rebar to hit Daryl with it. We don't know what the time difference is there. And Rich can't clarify that for us either because he's so drunk. I believe him at this point that he was in a rage over this, that he's intoxicated. Uh, so it's difficult for him to control that rage. Is Rich aware that Daryl's a registered sex offender? Yes, he is. He brings it up. He's like, he's a registered sex offender. He's hitting on me. Rich is clearly disturbed by this whole thing. We had a witness come forward who said that they saw Daryl and Rich arguing at one of the homeless shelters. And they were arguing because Rich had found out Daryl was a registered sex offender. We were unable to corroborate that statement, but we had it out there that it was a problem for Rich that Daryl was a registered sex offender. What did Daryl do to become a registered sex offender? He had um, sexually abused every minor female in his family. Oh my gosh. So one of the other things that Suzanne had told us, which Suzanne, when she told us that she had talked to Daryl and they were planning their future together, she had also told us that two nights prior to that, Rich had walked her home. They had been hanging out in a bar and Daryl wanted to stay and so Rich offered to walk Suzanne home. When they got to her house, he started kissing her and groping her. And she said, I could tell that he wanted to come in and have sex. Suzanne said, Rich, you're a young man. You need to find a girl your own age. You need to go. And she said he was completely fine with that and left. So prior to learning about this, where Daryl shows Rich his penis and says, come lay with me. There was some part of us that thought maybe this was over Suzanne. When the detectives bring this up to Rich, he's dismissive of it. He said, no. He was shocked that we actually knew that he had kissed Suzanne. Rich said, that has nothing to do with what happened. It has everything to do with Daryl hitting on me. And so they ask him, you know, what happened next? And they asked if he hung out in the room at all. Rich said, no, after this happened, he said, I was pretty drunk. He said, I think I left. They asked Rich where he stayed. He said, I walked back to Williams fifth wheel. He said he didn't sleep. He got up the next morning after laying awake and walked to the nearest bus stop, caught the bus to the next town so he could catch the Greyhound out of the state. He said he talked to his dad. His dad sent him 180 bucks, starts to confirm all this. We ask where the piece of rebar is. He said, I can't tell you. I don't know. Rich said, I don't know where the bedspread is. I don't know where the piece of rebar is. What about his clothes? So his clothes, that's a good question. Rich said, I went to the Goodwill. I bought new clothes and I changed them in the fast food restaurant that was right there by the Goodwill. It's a Carl's Jr. He stuffed the bloody clothes in the trash in the bathroom. So they said to him, your clothes must have been pretty bloody. Rich was... Actually, I could barely tell there was any blood on them. He said, I, I did have dark clothes on. He said, I did have it all over my face. He said, that was the big thing is when I first saw myself in the mirror, I was shocked I had that much blood on me. I did not know the extent of the injuries. And the detective showed him pictures from the hotel room of Daryl laying in his own blood. Rich was like, why are you showing me that? And they said, we want to know, is this what the room looked like the last time you were in it? And Rich said, I don't remember it looking like that. Gives you a, an insight into his state of mind, his sobriety level. And you also have to ask that question because you don't want a defense attorney saying, yeah, he only hit him once. Somebody later on came in after Rich had left and finished the job. It eliminates additional suspects. Right. Rich is at the Carl's Jr. He changes his clothes. He says he just stuffed them in the trash there. Those were never recovered, obviously. They're in a landfill. Right. They ask him about his shoes that he was wearing when he got arrested. 
And Rich says, yes, these are the shoes I was wearing when I was in the room with Daryl. So you haven't changed your shoes. I have not changed my shoes. So those shoes were never processed for DNA, but they were available to do it. Why not? It was never needed. Is that because you also had Rich's confession? So the defense attorney files a motion to suppress that. (gasps) How come? Because it was a violation of his Miranda rights. Both those detectives, I learned a lot from those guys. I think they got caught in the moment. When they were stuck in the room and kept talking to Rich? Yes. And the DA was prepared for the motion to suppress and was prepared to take this to trial without it. And honestly, we didn't need Rich's confession. There was enough evidence to put him inside the room. And the fact that he lied about being in the room prior to asking for an attorney, because everything prior to him asking for an attorney was admissible. We didn't lose that part. You got the provable lies and you've got eyewitnesses. And that fingerprint. And that fingerprint. It's damning. And you got those witnesses that saw them going to the hotel. You got one that puts him in the hotel room. The pizza guy, the delivery guy, you know, IDs him in a photo lineup. And he flees. Yeah. What are you fleeing from if you didn't do anything? So they file a motion to suppress and it's granted. But then the defense is insanity by extreme emotional distress for Rich. Rich's attorney, how he's going to get Rich off is temporary insanity by extreme emotional distress because he was so offended by Daryl hitting on him. So it goes to, have you ever been a victim of rape in your history or child sex abuse or anything like that? Nope, never. So it's hard to get to that. As though if Rich had been raped or sexually abused in his past and then Daryl hit on him, that would trigger some kind of PTSD in Rich. Yes. So that's the case they present. So to present that case, they have to say that Rich killed Daryl. That has to be stipulated. You can't argue that without stipulating that Rich killed Daryl. So they stipulate that Rich killed Daryl, but it was because of this extreme emotional distress. The jury does not buy into that and find him guilty of murder. Rich is sentenced to 25 years to life. Did Rich give any sort of statement uh, at sentencing? He did not. He had nothing to say. His uh, attorney argued for a shorter sentence, given the fact that Daryl was a registered sex offender. Do you think they were saying that because they're basically saying Daryl deserved what he got because he's a registered sex offender? I think maybe they were implying that, yes, it can be taken that way. I mean, why else bring it up? And the judge said, nope, 25. Rich was stoic too. He didn't have any outbursts or anything. Other than Suzanne, did Daryl have any family that was in town? Suzanne ended up leaving our town. I never saw her again. Daryl's family came forward during the trial of Rich, and they actually were grateful that Daryl was dead. Was that because of his past sex offenses? Yeah. So they were happy to see him go. And I would say that Rich's attorney played on that. Tried to, anyway. Rich's family, were they at the trial, and how did they take the guilty verdict? The parents were extremely upset. Were there any consequences for Rich's mother and father because of their assistance? No, we did not go after them. BK, you said at the beginning of this case that this was your first murder investigation. Was it also the first time you'd seen a dead body in the condition that Daryl was in? It was. It was my first autopsy as well. How was that for you? The autopsy is nothing like what I expected it. Because there is no blood basically in the body. So you're just looking at basically it looks like an anatomy chart, but it's in real life. There's two parts where I was a little bit put off is when they do the skull cap. They use that saw. You're like, that's creating dust. And we're standing in that. I had a mask, but it's still there. It's still there. And then the other part was when they open up the stomach to see what the contents are. My partner didn't have any menthol underneath his nose. And he said, you smell that? And I said, nope, I got the menthol. And he's like, oh, you cheated. He didn't know I put it on. And he's like, you cheated. And I'm like, dude, you don't want me throwing up. That smell will make me throw up. And he's like, that is the worst smell is when they open the stomach or the intestines. But otherwise, I don't think they're horrible. I think it's an underappreciated fact that all of you, your purpose is singular. And that is to get justice for the victim, 
whether or not that victim is a registered sex offender or a convicted felon in some other way, shape, or form, your job is the same. And because justice is supposed to be blind, you all don't get to cherry pick which victims you'll go to the mat for and which ones you won't. And I just think it says everything about the way you do, what you do, and why. Yeah, they're human beings. Thank you so much for bringing that to us. Thank you, BK. Thank you, BK. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. And, small town fam, this marks the end of season nine. I know, I know. We wish we could bring you fresh content 52 weeks a year, but, um, well, we haven't figured out how to do that yet. And I'm pretty sure our editors, Logan and Zorin, would quit. So, (laughs) anywho, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for taking us along this season. Please stay well and safe. And instead of goodbye, let's just say a bientôt. We will see you next time. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by Detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Soren Bajan, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor, The Real Nick Smitty, and Alec Cowan. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soren Bajan. And our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. Small Town Dicks would like to thank Speech Docs for providing transcripts of this podcast. You can find these transcripts on our episode page at smalltowndicks.com. And for more information about Speech Docs and their service, please go to speechdocs.com. And join the Small Town Fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Small Town Dicks. We love hearing from you. And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country in search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you.